0: What's the soundtrack of your life? What are you humming along to? What are you singing to? Whether in reality, like in your car, my wife and I drove by this girl the other day. She was just going at it. It was just her and an empty car. You know, you've driven by, those people, they are just so passionate about whatever's on the radio, and they're just lip syncing. This girl was just, it was awesome. You know, she was just... But what are you living your life to? What soundtrack is determining how you see the world, how you react to the world? What's your soundtrack? So we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of fun. And I want to continue that thought of our soundtrack. We've talked about three convictions that I believe that they're in my soundtrack, and I, I think they should be in your soundtrack of your life. Soundtrack conviction number one, my beliefs become my behavior, then my behavior Becomes my beliefs. It's the thought that as we take things in, as we absorb things, whether from our culture, hopefully from scripture, from all these different things, they become part of our worldview, and then that affects how we act and behave. And then we, because that's how we act, defend it to the end in our worldviews. This is why worldviews collide on so many controversial topics, is because we defend how we behave. We really do. Soundtrack conviction number two, my life matters and makes a difference. I was created with a purpose, and I believe your greatest purpose, your singular purpose, is that you were created by God for God. You were created to worship him. And when you live in that soundtrack, everything takes on a a little bit of a different meaning as you live your life. You were created with a purpose. So today's soundtrack, conviction number three, nothing is wasted when committed to God. Nothing is wasted when committed into the hands of an almighty loving God. Nothing. Not your past, not your current circumstances. Nothing is wasted. And that soundtrack comes from the scripture found in Romans chapter eight. We touched on it a bit last week. As we, we tackled a portion of scripture in Romans chapter 8, dealing with our purpose, being called by God. Not just called by God for some sort of task or career, but called by God to himself first and foremost. And then out of that, everything else finds its place. It doesn't really matter what job you're in. Your calling is still to God himself and to glorify him through all that you do. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, join me. If you have UVersion app on your iPhone, you can uh, join us on the live event and all the scriptures and, and uh, things are there. Otherwise, follow us on the screens. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. To his purpose, not ours, to his. God works, and we know this. There's a Greek word for this concept of knowing. And we know that in all things. This word for know is Edo. In context, it really means having a a mental image or picture of what you're thinking about, of what you know. It's having a firm grasp on what it is. It's to see with your mind's eye, and it signifies a clear and purely mental or uh, def- uh, definitive mental perception or picture. And so when the writer says, and we know that in all things God works for our good, it's this mental picture of that shades, that that translates everything that we see that, that's coming our way because we know behind the veil of all that is on, in this world, behind that skin, that God is at work. And the biblical concept of this whole thing is wrapped up in one word, which is joy. Joy. Joy is that, that deep understanding, deep conviction, deep Grasping that God is still and always at work. That's how you can say with conviction, "Nothing is wasted," is because deep down there's this sense of joy, that God is still and always at work. Now let us not be confused when we say joy to think happiness or pleasure. For sure, surely there are those two things within joy. But joy is not happiness, nor is it pleasure. It is possible to have joy in the midst of disturbing circumstances in your life and frustrating and confusing situations. You can still have a joy that says, I know God is at work. I know beyond what I see and what I perceive that God is at work. I think sometimes our joy gets a little misguided, misplaced, and lost because, like I mentioned last week, we often have this concept of what life is supposed to be like. Right? Have you ever said that to yourself? This is not how life is supposed to be. I've been in those circumstances. Have you? This isn't how life was supposed to go. We, we have this mental image of what life is supposed to be. We compare it to the lives of other people. Actually, we compare it to the, the bits and pieces of other people's lives we know that we like. We like how their life is going from our viewpoint, and so we compare our life, and we say, that's what life is supposed to be like, and that's such a, a deceiving concept. There is no baseline of what life is supposed to be like other than the promises of Scripture That I would know God and he would know me. There's a soundtrack. It goes like this. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. By a band named Smashing Pumpkins. What a great name. You ever wonder how people come up with... Let's not even go there. How do they come up with those names? Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage... Despite all of my trying and my striving, I'm held and caged in by my past and my habits and my pain. And I can't seem to get out. And people strive for all these things that our culture says we should want. We're caged in by a materialistic, self centered culture that in the end we get to our life, end of our life. To see this cage and go, what difference did I make? What in the world? How did I get here? What soundtrack are you listening to? So I firmly believe that joy is not ignorant bliss. It's not a detachment from, from reality that you just think, oh, everything's going to turn out all right. Life doesn't turn out all right, at least not by the, dist- the standards of all right for you and I. This is where joy goes beyond just sort of, oh, whatever, God is at work. That's, that's not it. It's, I know God is at work, and even if everything is not all right according to how I feel, I understand that God has not left me. He is ultimately working for my good, the good that says, I want you to look like, more like Jesus in every circumstance. And that's sometimes painful. Joy is the full assurance that greater is He, God, that is in me than He that is in this world. That's what the scripture says. That the the very power that raised Christ from the dead, that power that lives within me as a follower, is greater than the evil, dark, spiritual realm that we live in and amongst. That's the joy, is seeing beyond that. In my life, this is what I I wrote about joy in my life. It's the intoxicating mixture of faith and hope that touches on both happiness and pleasure at times yet needs neither of those to exist. It's this intoxicating mixture of faith and hope that I see the end that God wants for me and though I don't have all the answers and I don't know how I'm always going to get there, I'm intoxicated that he's taking me there. That he's always at work. And though there's happiness and pleasure involved in that sometimes, my joy does not need happiness nor does it need pleasure to exist. I'm confident that God is at work. This May, we took a, a vacation to Florida. Me and Darcy and the three kids packed into a minivan, overpacked into a minivan. 20 hours, right? let's just say it was not all happiness and pleasure for 20 hours, right? Some of you guys have been there. When you were a teenager, man, you loved to drive. Not so much when you got kids in the car packed in a tight space for hours. Dad, when are we gonna get there? 19 more hours. (laughs) We're not even to St. Louis yet, right? It's not exactly happiness and pleasure, but you know what the conversation was when we get to that point where we're like, Let's just turn around. (laughs) It was, hey guys, just think about how awesome it's going to be when we get to the pool. When we get there, we're going to kick off our sandals and we're going to feel the sand between our toes. And that sun, yes, I was like, yes. I'm sorry, you guys are like, oh no. (laughs) That's joy. There's an expectation that hope will deliver that if I continue on the path that I'm going committed to God, nothing is wasted. And so for 20 hours, we had to stop and get gas. We had to feed ourselves. We had to endure each other. But in the journey, the joy was that we were going to get there. We would get there. It wasn't all happiness and pleasure. But in the end, when you get there and you receive what you've hoped for, this is what joy is all about. These are the promises of God in Scripture. And in this life, you will have traveling pains. And you have work to do. But keep in mind the end goal. It's not just heaven, as if heaven is a place where all good people go. Heaven is where all people who want Jesus go. That's why heaven's important. Florida is important because there's a beach. (laughs) That's the only reason. It's the same with heaven. You don't go to heaven because you want to go to a a magical place. You go to heaven because you want Jesus. And your life, your whole life has reflected that. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, wrote it this way. Joy in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. See, if joy is the true business of heaven, happiness and pleasure is the business of earth. We chase after happiness and pleasure because we can control it, right? We can flip on an electronic device and immediately receive some sort of pleasure even if the Vikings are losing. That's my team, by the way, never mind. But we can receive pleasure instantly because I can control my happiness, usually in an instant. If I don't like what's going on, I can leave. I can walk out, whether it's relationships, or jobs, or whatever. If I don't like it, I pretty much can just pack it up and go find something else that brings me pleasure, even if just for a moment. But joy is not in our power. It's only found in one, Jesus Christ. He is joy. C.S. Lewis later in the book, Surprised by Joy, which I just quoted, talks about his dad, who said, adulthood, adulthood is drudgery surrounded by the potential threat of financial ruin. Do you feel like that? We talked about this a little bit last week. We just get by. We're just trying to survive. And this is the thought that C.S. Lewis saw in his dad that adulthood was just drudgery. Always just trying to fight off financial ruin, just getting by. But this is not joy. Joy goes beyond my present circumstances or my past failures, it's faith. It's going beyond what I see, beyond what I think, and beyond what I feel. Even if I don't have the answers, I know who the answer is. And he's working for my good and for his glory. Let us not forget that second part. Not only is he working for my good, but he's working for his glory. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I think, says it in the... In a perfect way. Paul the Apostle writes, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God, who started this good work in us through his Holy Spirit, is continuing to do that work as we allow him to, as we step into it. He's doing that good work which we allow him and want him to do And ultimately, on that great day that we stand before him, everything that we've done in its whole entirety will be presented to God for glory. For his glory, not mine. The Bible says that everything that I've done will be put to the flame to see if it endures, if there's any eternal value in what I have done. And it's those things that I can present to Jesus At the end of my life. And I don't think God receives any glory when we walk without joy. You've probably met several people in your life that walk without joy. As if somehow being a sour Christian is the best way to go. God receives glory when we find our pleasure and joy in Him. That's when He's the most glorified. Instead, we look at the Christian life as the pursuit of not sinning less, or not sinning. We want to sin less, and that becomes our goal. And I say, if your goal is more of Jesus, you will probably, not probably, you will sin less. If you chase Jesus, you can't chase sin. It's impossible. We think it's possible, but it's not. Instead of thinking of sinning less, just seek Christ more. And joy is the result of walking in faith, that fruit of the Spirit, the result of walking by faith in the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the result of having the Spirit growing inside of you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the result of letting God's spirit grow within you. It becomes evident for all to see. How do you know an apple tree is healthy and growing? It get, you have apples. It's the same with the spirit of God growing inside of you. You have fruit that's evident to all. There's joy in your life. There's this deep understanding that nothing in your life is wasted. But we waste our lives. And we waste it in ways that we don't often think about. You waste your life when you don't forgive. Forgive. When you hang on to something that someone owes you, as if you can collect, and you're going to make them pay, right? You waste your life. There's no redeeming quality in that. In fact, you cannot receive forgiveness, the Bible says, unless you forgive. We waste our lives when we don't grow, when we're stuck in past failures, past hurt and pain, when we're stuck in the past, when we're stuck even spiritually, if we refuse to grow and let the new things that God wants to do work in our lives, we begin to waste. Life is wasted when we don't give, when we don't let go, when we don't work, when we don't pray. Life is wasted when we give up, when we don't passionately pursue what God has put before us and we quit too soon. Life can be wasted. Beyond your success and failure is joy. This concept that nothing is wasted when committed to the hands of God, when your pursuit in life becomes greater than the job or the task at hand. Watch this video. What a great soundtrack that Charles Goodyear left behind for the people behind him to follow. He never got rich, but his pursuit wasn't rich, riches. It was to solve this mystery that God had placed before him. What mystery has God placed before you? That by solving it, you bring him glory. And all those around you, your, their lives are changed. They're affected. The story that I've heard goes that in this kitchen that Charles Goodyear was working, in fact, either it was an experiment gone wrong that had boiled over or had tipped over something, there was some sort of accident. This is usually how my cooking is. And in that moment, probably of despair as he's going, oh, no. You know, you've ever had that moment where you burn something in the kitchen where you're just like, oh, dear, it's all wasted, just ruined it. It was in that moment that Charles Goodyear actually made the discovery that led to the modern day rubber and and what we know as tires. He discovered in that moment of a seemingly erroneous circumstance. It was in that moment that modern day rubber was discovered. And instead of looking at the disaster in that moment, he said, Perhaps God is at work even in this mistake. Is it possible that in your life God is at work the most when you think He's at work the least? See, we often look at our problems and our pain and the pressure around us instead of looking at Jesus. We stare at the situations and the stress and the sickness instead of looking at Jesus. And in that, we are walking according to the soundtrack of our culture that it's all about me. But you've met those people who are selfish. People who are selfish are not always happy. In fact, they're often the opposite. Not only do you not want to be around them, you can't often stand them because they're so unhappy with everything. Everything is about them. Let me give you five things as we close this morning that I think will point us towards living a life of joy in Christ. Giving us the soundtrack to see that nothing is wasted. How do we do this? One, when we worship. I said several weeks ago that all that we do, even our work, is worship. Everything we do can worship and glorify the name of Jesus. Is it so in your life? Whatever you do, whether you're a student, a career person, a mom, a dad, everything is worship. And in that context, there is joy. It's in those moments of complete and abandoned worship, whether it's in song or in work, that we find satisfaction and contentment because we understand who it is we work for. We understand who it is we sing for. It's all about him. And when you discover that life is about Jesus and not about you and your, your worldview begins to shift away from what our culture says, you know, get this, have that, it's all about you. When you shift to thinking about who Jesus is and how he's working in your life, you discover joy. There's no other way. The second possibility that you can introduce in your life is giving. I don't think you can experience joy without giving. I truly believe you are never more like Christ than when you give. Our, you know, our, our most quoted scripture, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. And our culture says, keep, take, save, gather. And there's some good principles of financial stewardship, but that's not what our culture teaches. It's not teaching stewardship, it's teaching materialism. Gather and get for your sake, for your comfort. And yet our scripture says that those who give will receive. The idea of the tithe is not the church's way of being a money grabber, transferring wealth from one place to another. It's not that. It's that when we give, we give to God, like I said earlier this morning. And here is the part of joy that you discover through giving. It's like Christmas, right? When you give, there's, there's joy watching your kids because it's in that moment you forget about the money you spent and you see the product that what the, you spent your time and money on you see the happiness of your kids you see their joy but the part about this faith step in giving and discovering joy is that we're trusting god by saying god i trust you to do with the 90% left over that i could not do with 100% the fact is if we had 110 or 120% of our current income and we're not tithing We probably still wouldn't have enough, and we probably still couldn't make it. But something happens, and Darcy and I have discovered this in our own life, that when we give, we have not more, we have enough. But oftentimes we find ourselves saying, wow, how did this come about? I have to tell you the story of my self-healing car at some point in time. God doesn't oftentimes send me, send, he doesn't send me money in the mail, but we had a car that was, about, it was breaking down on our, two weeks before our trip to Florida. Talk about no happiness and pleasure. Take away air conditioning, and it just went from you know, all that to craziness in the car if you don't have air conditioning. And we went back and forth with two different places trying to get this thing fixed, and we were just praying, God, we, we, we really don't have the money. It means that our, you know, it's going to affect our trip and what that looks like. And we were praying and we were working. We were praying and taking the car in. We were praying and doing what we needed to do. And I took it to the dealer one more time. It seemed to be working. I, t- I took it to the local shop. And he said, I, I don't know, I, I don't understand. He said, you, were ha- you had a leak last time you brought it in, but there's no leak now. He said, you've driven it for two weeks and you haven't lost any pressure. It's all, it's all fine and good. He said, you have a self-healing car. I said, I have a healing God. <laughs> and so he took care of my car. And we've driven it. I say it's September 1st now, and that was May, and it's, it's worked fine. Because I believe that God can do things that I don't understand, I can't comprehend. He'll take care of me in ways that I can't plan out, I can't foresee. But when I give and I trust him with the 90, he takes care of that other 10. And that makes 100% that I could not produce The story of Elijah and the widow in the Old Testament is this great story of faith. As Elijah, the prophet, comes to widow and her son. They're single mom, dead husband, and a young kid. And they're on the cusp of starvation and death. And the prophet has the gall, the nerve to say, make me a cake, frosting and candles on top, if you would. That's not actually part of it, but he does ask for a cake. Make me some bread. And she says, but sir... All I have enough is one last meal for me and my boy, and then we're going to die. Elijah says, make it anyway. <laughs> and before you do that, go and collect a bunch of jars for some oil. Not only do you want me to bake and cook, but you want me to go work and find jars? Elijah says, that's exactly what I want you to do. And what happens can only happen by faith when you commit your resources to God. The woman and her son collect as many jars as they can. If you've read the story, they begin to pour the oil into each jar and they never run out until they come to the last jar. And the last jar is filled. They run out. This lady was taken care of. All of her needs were met because she stepped out in faith. Do you think there might have been joy in that moment when they went from despair to, whoa, (laughs) Right? You only find that kind of joy when you give. The third thing quickly is serving. It's the giving of one's time, talent, and schedule. This schedule. The thing that tells you where you need to be and when you need to be there. And you say, I'm going to take time to serve and meet someone else's needs. Anytime you step out to serve, there is a biblical result of joy. You've probably felt it on the times that you've done anything to serve somebody else, whether it's in your marriage or some other relationship or through something we've done here at church or a missions trip, and you felt that joy. There's something about it. I've had students and adults alike say to me, man, it just felt so good to to do that for those people or for that project today. Just, I feel so good. You feel happy. You feel pleasure because that is part of joy. You can have joy without happiness and pleasure, Right? But you also can have joy with happiness and pleasure, and that's one of the ways you can feel that and see great eternal results. The fourth thing is rest. By the way, I'm horrible at this one. It's this idea of Sabbath, trusting God to do in six days what you could not do in seven. But Lord, have you seen me at work? (laughs) Give me one more day, I'm awesome. I mean, isn't that what we say to ourselves? Maybe you don't have that conversation, but... That's in essence what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you to accomplish it in seven days or six days. So I'm going to put the extra effort in. And I don't, I'm not saying hard work is bad. Hard work is good and there is joy in working hard. But there's also a sense by which we're willing to sacrifice family, spiritual life, all these other things in order to put in where what we think our value is in, is in our work. When you discover that your value is not in your work, but in who you're working for. When you work for Christ, it's all, it's all of value. Even your resting is of value. This idea of the Sabbath that we trust God with six days and rest in him. And it's not just flipping back, kicking your heels up and turning on the TV kind of rest. It's committing that time to God, And understanding that I'm going to rest in his presence. I'm going to rest in what he is going to do. And that leads me to my final point is pray. We really are a prayerless society. With lives devoid of any scripture beyond a Sunday morning. I don't think you can experience joy without prayer. You need to set aside time for God. Take time. You can't make time. If you say, well, I'll I'll make time for it. If you can make time, if you can make a 25th hour, we need to talk. You cannot. You have to take time. I agree that you can pray throughout the day. In fact, that's what I do. But you must take moments of your day or a moment of your day to focus thought, energy, heart, everything on God. Not to talk, just to talk, but to listen. It's in those moments that you experience joy because it's this partnership with God that we call faith that we submit to God and everything falls into place from there because joy and prayer are inseparably related but they're chronological you will never know great joy without prayer but I think we are fearful of prayer because what if God doesn't answer? right? what if God doesn't answer? what if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I want it? as if God was obligated to answer the way we, we tell him to C.S. Lewis, again, writes this. Prayer, prayers are not always, in the crude and factual sense of the word, granted. This is not because prayer is a weaker kind of casualty, but because it is a stronger kind. When it works at all, it works unlimited by space and time. That is why God has retained a discretionary power of granting or refusing it. Except on that condition, prayer would destroy all of us. Think of it this way. God... Please let Susie say yes to me when I ask her out. God, if that boy asked me out, would you cause him to drop dead? (laughs) Which one does God answer? Hmm. Billy prayed that Susie would say yes, but Susie prayed first. Sorry, Billy. I'm going to smite you. (laughs) I mean that's the ridiculous end but all the requests we make in our limited knowledge is God not powerful enough? Do we not trust him enough? My prayers used to be God I believe you because you can heal provide because you and he can he can do all those things and now my prayer is just God I believe you period I believe you period that's my prayer now, do I pray for the impossible? You bet. Do we see it sometimes? Yes. But I believe God despite what I want because my joy says beyond what I can see, feel, and understand. He is at work. He is at work. And this, these types of prayers cannot be answered by prayers thrown up in the moment of desperation. Desperation. Mark chapter 9, read the incident where Jesus casts out the demon and the disciples say, how in the world did you do that? We, we, we did the same thing. Jesus says, yeah, but I prayed and fasted first. And you understand in the moment, Jesus did not have time between realizing there was a demon-possessed boy and his actual prayer. He did not have time between those two things to pray and fast. What he was saying was, I was prayed up and I'd been fasting way before this. I was in tune with the Spirit of God and my faith was at a level that I could ask and receive and know what was going on. This is the type of thing that when you're in that moment and you begin to throw up the prayers, it's really hard for that faith to grow. It's in the moments before that joy takes root. It says, I trust God no matter what. Pray and fast before you get to the desperate situation. I want the band to come as we close with a song called I Will Trust in You. And I want you to listen to the words of this song this morning because I, I think they speak directly to our hearts and to where we're at. As we pray, as we read scripture, it magnifies our view of God and diminishes the view of our circumstances. It puts us in the right place. So what is one practice of faith you need to take this morning? Worship. Worship. Prayer, serving, giving, praying, resting. What, what's that one thing that you need to do? Because, listen, happiness is easy. You can produce it on your own. But I cannot produce joy. Only a Christ-focused faith produces joy that goes beyond all our circumstances. And that's in that point that I can say nothing is wasted. No hurt or pain from the past is wasted. Nothing in my present circumstances is wasted. No adversity or hardship, no success, and no failure has been wasted. And here's the promise of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure of Christ's glory in us. We have this treasure of jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. Perplexed and confused, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Skip on to verse 16. says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. That, my friends, is joy. Nothing is wasted when you trust in him. Maybe you're at that place this morning where you've never trusted your life, your whole life to Jesus. And today you're saying, I want to make Jesus the leader of my life. You need to take that step of faith and commit your life to Christ. We use a lot of phrases in church like get saved, be born again, invite Jesus in to your heart. It's all the same thing. It's about trusting that he has your best in mind. He wants good for you, for his glory. Church, would you close your eyes in this reverent moment as someone's eternity is about to change? If that's you this morning and you want to say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to commit my whole life to Jesus and following him. I want to accept his forgiveness and live that life in him. Church, we're going to pray together. If you mean it, mean it from your heart. And Church, it be a reminder to us all of our desperate need for Jesus. Repeat after me, Father God, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. I accept your forgiveness. Would you please forgive me and help me to live for you? Lead my life. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We celebrate with those of you who've made that commitment. in church, when you leave this morning... Don't make it a whimsical thought of, that was good, I should do that. What's keeping you from putting it in action, even in this moment, to turn to a spouse or to turn to a trusted friend and say, this is the practice I need to start, I need to start worshiping more, I need to change the soundtracks I'm listening to, I need to get the Elevation album that this song is on. Take that step because you know as soon as you speak it to somebody, they're going to ask you, hey, what about that thing you said the other day? How come you're not living like that? Maybe it's giving or worshiping or praying. Do something. If you do nothing, you'll get nothing. Joy will cost you something. And joy is not an emotion. Joy is Jesus. That's it. So chase Jesus more this week, whatever that looks like for you. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you here next week.